I think Wigan Council was one was the third hardest hit council in the country in terms of the impact of austerity and, and government funding. Um, and I think for us, we um, we really wanted digital to be part of our solution and to embrace that in a kind of cultural way in the organisation. So it's been a big part of how we managed to successfully deliver on our savings and efficiencies and um, it's very much embedded in the DNA of our staff now. Hello and welcome to the podcast episode 18. So today we're talking to Alison Hughes, who's the Assistant Director of ICT Strategic Partnerships at Wigan and Bolton Councils. So as you may already know, we've began specialising in public sector automation. So we're already working with a number of councils across the UK. We've also decided to interview councils across the UK to kind of establish where they are in their transformation journey, what their challenges are and how they see AI automation and chatbots sort of impacting their councils specifically in the future, as well as councils across the country. So you may have already heard um, our episode with Monmouth. Um, Monmouthshire County Council. We interviewed them on episode 14 about how they're approaching digital transformation and how um, their chatbot Monty, which we built for them, is having a really, really huge impact on their constituents already after only three months. So if you haven't checked out that episode, um, check that out. It's really, really interesting. But like I said, today we're interviewing Alison Hughes, um, who's Assistant Director of ICT Strategic Partnerships at Wigan and Bolton Councils. So we talked to her about um, sort of what their challenges are, um, how they see sort of AI and automation impacting the council over time. Uh, They're actually a really interesting council because in 2013, it was quite a big year for them. They outsourced IT in a £47 million contract, which saw 46 staff members transfer over to the private sector. So that was really interesting. Uh, We chatted to her a little bit about that. And they also store data of over 600,000 citizens. So I really wanted to know how they use that data and how they store it um, and how it sort of feeds into their decision making. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. As always, uh, we love to hear your thoughts. So please get in touch with us on any of our social channels using hashtag the botcast or through the Anchor app directly. You can send us little voice messages on there uh, with suggestions or questions. And also um, your ratings and reviews on iTunes are really really appreciated so if you could head over to iTunes and give us a a little five star rating it's always appreciated um but yeah hope you really enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting to Alison Alison thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast I really appreciate it I'm really looking forward to speaking to you Grace I'm looking forward to talking to you too amazing so (laughs) should we dive right in certainly Amazing. So for the people that don't know much about you, I'll tell our listeners a little bit. So Alison's built an exceptional network across the public sector. She's a really trusted advisor um, to many local authorities, driving business change um, through the use of ICT and digital transformation. So you've headed up um, a really unique relationship, haven't you, um, on behalf of Bolton and Wigan partnership, which is, I believe, the first common multi-tenant delivery contract spanning for public sector organisations, is that um, right? Yeah, I know, I know it's very unique in terms of how it operates. I think there are some partnerships, but they don't operate in the same way that our relationship operates. Right, 
I'd love you to tell our listeners a little bit more about how yours does operate. So my role is I am uh, the assistant director responsible for um, the ICT strategic partnership. And that is a strategic relationship with our IT provider, Agilisys. But it spans across um, Bolton Council, Wigan Council um, and Inspiring Healthy Lifestyles. We used to all include, also include a housing trust, but that's been brought back in-house now. So my role is I act as the strategic client on behalf of all of those partners. Um, and I also manage some internal ICT delivery across those partners. That is so much to think about. <laughs> it certainly is. It's a very challenging role. I mean, I think um, for me... It, my job is to make sure that we can maximise the opportunities for um, sharing resources, for um, moving change forward at a pace. So we've got lots of things that probably would not be affordable in the public sector if we didn't do them in a partnership way. Um, so, you know, we've got things like a 24-7 service desk, which you know it can be extremely expensive if you if you run that as a single organization you know and we we can move forward on changes at a greater pace because we can share resources we can share learning we only do things once on behalf of all the partners but for me it's about making sure that i manage all those opportunities and manage the strategic strategic technology roadmap with our partners whilst respecting that each individual organisation has got its own identity and its own kind of individual specific priorities. So it is quite an unusual role. Yeah, that is that's so interesting. You must constantly be inspired by different areas of what you do, I imagine. I think um, it, it it's interesting because it is, it's very much about listening to customers and I think my job is to make sure that I really, I'm really in tune and I really listen to um, those organisations that I work for. My, my salary is paid um, by each of those organisations in, in different component parts. So that in itself is quite unusual. Um, and there are five of us in a client team who are paid in that way. So we are very specifically people who work for um, the strategic partnership element of it. And then each partner has their own day-to-day um, -day service delivery team, which is things like IT business partners. Um, we've got some staff who look after applications, people who, who are kind of transformation program managers, and they're looking after the specific business requirements in relation to IT or in relation to business change and we look after all of the big technology stuff like you know what's our strategy around agile working what is the technology that's going to support us on that journey cyber security how do we deal with those challenges collectively um what are the things that are going to help um take us in the right direction going forward so it's very much a balancing act and i would say my role it, the most important thing is about listening and communicating really well because you're bearing in mind just how many people you're trying to um, represent in terms of your role. 
the contract itself is very, very different from a traditional outsourcing contract. And I think um, that's quite unique and people find that quite interesting because I think traditioning uh, um, outsourcing contracts were very much about um, you have a list of requirements, you, you go to the market and, and the market provides specific technologies in, in, and you decide which one provides the technologies you like and you go with that provider. Our relationship is a very outcome-based contract in that we wanted to develop a proper partnership and we wanted to be able to say to our provider, these are the outcomes that we're seeking. You go away and, and as long as those um, solutions you recommend meet our requirements in terms of quality and delivery of those outcomes, um, we're happy for you to, to take the lead role in that. And that kind of changes the, the relationship that you have with your provider, really, um, because it's always about focusing on the outcomes that you want from the technology. And it means you can always revisit those technologies in terms of have our outcomes changed? Um, are they delivering on, on you know, the things that are really important to us as an organisation? Yeah, I feel like that's a really innovative way of approaching what you do. It's really sort of refreshing to see that. Um, talking about outsourcing, actually, before I talk about outsourcing, I'd just like to congratulate you before I forget, because I know that you came in the top three female GovTech leaders in 2018. I did, so... I was number two. I must have yeah, that's a amazing. lot of people, people in my camp, and I'm very, very grateful to those people. And I was honoured, honoured, actually, to be given that because I just think I'm an ordinary person doing my job as best I can every day so thank you I was delighted oh Alison you're definitely not a normal person it sounds like you're a superhero to be fair from what I've been reading about you because you've also been voted um top 30 women in tech in Manchester oh, yeah. haven't that, you that was also very nice but I mean I, I again I think um it was it was an amazing um, honour to be named with those people, some of whom I know personally and are absolutely fantastic women doing an amazing job every day. But I think we're all different. And one of my passions is um, encouraging more women to get involved in tech. I, I'm absolutely passionate about it. And that's why I kind of um, try and put myself forward for things like this, because I think... The tech industry is is an absolutely fantastic place to work if you're a woman because there's so many different jobs and roles and it's such a flexible place to work in because, um, you know, you, you can very much do a lot of the roles around um, your lifestyle. And uh, I think a lot of women see the tech industry in a very traditional way and that it's all about developers or it's all about um, infrastructure people and they don't realise that there's so many other roles that um, really, really are interesting and that I think they can bring something to those roles. So that's the main reason why I kind of allow myself to be put forward for these these type of things because I, I would like to think that somebody listening to me thinks, you know what, she sounds dead normal and I could maybe have a go at that. Come and join me, come and talk to me, because I think there's some fantastic opportunities for you out there. Yeah, do you know what? I absolutely love that. Um, funnily enough, seeing as we're talking about it, recently um, we're doing a little bit of a restructure of the podcast. So initially we were just talking to sort of industry leaders in tech, 
Um, and at the end of each month, we'd um, do like a news digest, which we're still doing. But a couple of months ago, I, I just become really keen to restructure and to have sort of six core pillars. So one of those pillars is digital transformation and um, people really sort of leading the way in the public sector in terms of, of transformation. But another massive pillar that I'll be working on, well, I've started working on, is um, women in tech, but what that even means. So like what even is a woman in tech anymore? You know, it's not always a coder. For example, I'm, I'm a woman in tech and I'm in marketing. So it's just sort of really redefining what exactly. that even is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast because the more I sort of researched about you, the more I was intrigued about your story and you really do set an example. So it's, it's awesome to have been to you. <laughs> um, so to go back to what we were chatting about a little bit, you've worked for Wigan and Bolton Council for almost 11 That's years, right. is that right? Um, and I know in talking about going back to the outsourcing, um, I know that in 2013 was quite a big year for you. You outsourced an IT contract to about 40, 47 right, yeah. million. Um, yeah, and that saw 46 staff transfer over to the private sector, I believe. So I'd love to know a little bit more about that. I know you projected to save around seven mil. So I was just wondering, you know, what's that process look like? Did you manage to save what you expected? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of a bit of the context in which that took place, um, Bolton Council, it was their third generation outsourcing um, and they were going out to market um, and they kind of said, is there anyone out there who'd be interested in doing this with us? And I, I, my background is not IT at all. Um, my background was um, administration, then I'd worked in adult social care. I'd done a bit of like systems and performance type stuff. And I came to Wigan as head of organisational development and it was because I really fancied a change and I wanted to do something really different. Um, and I'd only been there a short period of time and the head of IT um, announced he was leaving. And they kind of said to me, it'd be really good if you could go and do some work with IT. Um, I think, you know, they'd benefit from um, somebody who was kind of focused on the business and thinking about business change and helping them focus not just on the technology but on the the change management side of it so anyway I agreed to do that for a short period of time and anyway 11 years later I'm still here and now I've extended my reach across a whole range of other partners but um, when I initially went into the service I recognized that it was the organisation was changing at a really fast pace and IT was struggling to keep up with that pace. So I think for me, um, there was, you know, we needed to make some investments in the infrastructure. We didn't necessarily have the knowledge and skills to enable us to move the organisation forward at a pace. So um, I said, you know, I kind of said, well, okay, shall I go and have a look and see what Bolton are doing and whether there's any elements in that that, that can help us? Um, and then the rest is history, really. It kind of, we moved along the process. We decided to work together. We kind of formed a relationship that worked okay. We focused on our strategic outcomes. We focused on what we wanted from the contract and we were aligned in terms of that. Um, we kind of worked through a delivery model we um, obviously, you know, it was a 47 million contract over seven years across all of the partners and it required us to two-piece staff 
from from Bolton in terms of their existing provider into the new provider and from Wigan, we 2P transferred quite a few of the staff into the new provider. We have delivered the, the projected savings plus more. Um, there's lots of other kinds of um, benefits that, that we've delivered in terms of uh, added value, particularly around the number of apprenticeships that we've taken on. That's really important, particularly um, in, in terms of promoting young people and talent management for the future. So that's been a really good outcome. And we try and you know encourage us and offer as many work placements and apprenticeships as we possibly can through our partner. And that's something I think we're both is, is very important to both the councils and um, our strategic partner. So that's been really important. Um, so I think it has been a successful partnership. We've learned a great deal. It's been a, a partnership and a relationship that's grown over time. I think it, it must be successful. I mean, Wigan Council won Live, L, uh, LGC Digital Council of the Year in 2016. They won Digital Leaders Council of uh, Digital Leaders Digital Council of the Year in 2016, and this year Wigan Council won LGC um, Council of the Year. So I think you know we must be doing oh, something brilliant. right. It must be working, and I think we've really. Um, We've been on a journey as organisations and we're very much um, focused on digital. I think Wigan Council was one was the third hardest hit council in the country in terms of, of the impact of austerity and, and government funding. Um, and I think for us, we, um, we really wanted digital to be part of our solution and to embrace that in a kind of cultural way in the organization so it's been a big part of how we've managed to successfully deliver on our savings and efficiencies and um it's very much embedded in the dna of our staff now and um, we've done a lot of work around behaviors encouraging people to be accountable to be brave to think differently and do all of those things so a big part of that is is IT and how we deliver IT. I think some of the things I'm probably most proud of is how fantastically our staff have embraced agile working and the impact that's had on an organisation. And one of the outcomes we, we set at the beginning of the contract was we want um, a really good model for agility that flexes and grows with the organisation that enables us to use our buildings more flexibly, that enables us to move and deliver services at the front line with our customers um, and, you know, to kind of really change the way we work as, as an organisation. And I think we, we're really delivering on, on that agenda in terms of some of the technology we've implemented. And a lovely example recently was when we had... Um, a very unexpected incident in our town hall and something or somebody who shall remain nameless cut the um, the network link so we had no phones and no network into the town hall and our staff just got on with it. They just got up and moved to other locations or they went home and the disruption to the business was probably minimal in terms of... Um, of people just being able to work flexibly and move themselves to another location. And that, for me, was a real testament to how far we've come in terms of culture and in terms of 
of making use of the technology available to us. That's fantastic. That's so good to hear because so often there is a very like rigid working environment, I find. So, yeah, to see that kind of vision playing out is, is awesome. Um, so talking about staffing then, I know that um, limited staffing resources is one of the reasons that you actually went for the contract that we talked about. Uh, so that contract comes to an end next year. What are your plans um, and how do you sort of see automation, AI, chatbot technology sort of freeing up your staff currently? Okay, so we've um, recently made the decision to extend our contract for a further two years plus. Um, it's working okay. really well. And I think one of the main drivers for doing that is the changing face of public service, really. I think what we've seen over the last 18 months, two years, is um, a very different model of public service emerging. And those kind of silo-based um, individual agencies that were working you know, from the NHS, um, police, some of the partners that we work with, that was very much about individual service models and we've done a lot of work around integrating them and redesigning the organisation. So I think we're not completely clear about what that model is going to look like because we're, we're beginning to create different organisations as delivery mechanisms for those services. So I think we felt that we needed to have a little bit more time before we went back to the market and said, this is what we think we're going to look like and this is what the shape of, of um, demand to the market is going to be. Um, and we hope that kind of in, in 18 months' time we'll have a bit more of a picture about what that looks like and that will be a better time to go back to the market really. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what would you say are Wigan and Bolton Council's sort of top challenges then? I think that the biggest challenge that we face at the moment is customer expectations. Um, we've still all got a lot to do and I think the pace of change is, is so rapid um, in terms of consumer IT and the way our public live their lives. Um, and we've still got quite a lot to do in terms of of some areas of our service still need to move and become a bit more digital and that's why some of the projects we've got with robotics um, and AI are really important because we've started to introduce that um, to further um, improve some of the processes that we've got working quite well online but we think there's more scope and more capacity to do them in, in a more effective way. So that's got to be part of our journey going forward. Um, so I think customer expectations and our ability to respond to those expectations. I think we live in an increasingly 24-7 world where the lines between work and home kind of blur. Um, and people want to do business when it suits them in a way that suits them. And I think for us in public service, that's a challenge in terms of how we meet those expectations and how we deliver those services. So that's where robotics can have a great role to play, because in our in our old older models, people might have been able to enter information um, online out of hours, but then that might have to wait until standard office hours before anyone processes it. And the more we can do 
automatic processing of those requests out of hours, the more we can um, meet the customer's expectations. I think the other challenge for us is um, the growth in Internet of Things um, and consumer technology using Internet of Things um, because we've already got residents um, who are being supported to live at home using um, things like Amazon Alexa, using um, systems that integrate and um, link with sensors in their home that feed data back to um, some of our, our professionals. And how do we kind of marry all of that up with some of our requirements around technology in a corporate environment. So how do we do that safely and securely and make use of this technology, but also ensure that we uh, manage resident data safely and that that is done in a way that um, doesn't cause problems for us down the line. But I think that is kind of becoming increasingly a feature of the conversations that we have every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being sort of where your constituents are, isn't it? So what messaging platform they're on or, um, yeah, just, just sort of being available to them when when and where they want to speak yeah. to you, I guess. We were speaking to Monmouth County Council a couple of weeks ago about this um, on the podcast as well. And yeah, they had they had a very similar message. And um, we also started talking about how voice technology can play a part in that, obviously, with the more sort of vulnerable members of society. Um, like you said with Alexa, being able to sort of voice activate, um, it, it gives people that independence slightly more to, to stay in their homes for longer and to keep that communication flow well, yeah, going. Yeah, we've I had think. some marvelous um, examples of that where um, we've, you know, in particular, there's a woman with multiple sclerosis and mobility was becoming more and more challenging for her. She was potentially in a place where she would have to move out of her own home, which wasn't what she wanted into a more formal residential setting by using voice activated technology like Alexa and linking that to some of the traditional um, call support mechanisms um, made, meant that this was uh, still accessible to her and she could still use that without being able to get to a button to push it or get to a phone to call it. And it has helped her to remain in her own home longer so it's out there, it's happening. That was a really good outcome for her from an investment in relatively low-cost technology and thinking about it and how to do it differently. And I think there's definitely a role to play, um, you know, with, particularly with some of our more vulnerable um, residents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love, I love seeing tech play out in that way sort of giving people a new sort of lease of life and restoring their independence is amazing. Um, you did touch upon it slightly then, uh, the data issue. So I know that your partnership stores data of over sort of 600,000 mm -hmm. citizens. Uh, that's a lot of data. So um, how, do you, how do you sort of use that data to feed into your decision making and sort of better engage with your constituents? Okay, I think there's a lot more we could do with this, to be honest. I think we've only kind of touched um, the tip of the iceberg, if you like, around this. So we've got some stuff that we're already doing, which is a, a work around risk stratification, which is about looking at our data and trying to focus um, service delivery 
around particular groups of people who um, are at risk of coming into the, um, the, the more complex service delivery um, components. So there's a bit around that. We've got a bit around um, data that we use to predict people who are at risk of coming into financial difficulty that looks at all of our financial transactions with that individual so that we can potentially intervene and um, offer support at an early stage and prevent it becoming a non-payment or a, um, you know, a civil issue around that. So that's particularly important where you've got small businesses who might be struggling in the borough and we can go in and offer support when we look at some of the predictive data that we've got that might indicate that there's a potential issue arising. We've done quite a bit of work around open data and making sure that we push out data to um, our residents as much as we can because we've already had some really good examples of um, people asking us for particular data sets with a view to developing or, um, or marketing um, something that may be of benefit to our residents in the borough so we know there's some real advantages around that um so we've done and we've done quite a bit around bringing data get together in shared views with some of our partners to get a more holistic view of residents and therefore make better informed decisions about that residence so we've got some really good and strong examples of where we've done that um, obviously some of the robotics work that we're in, we've got in train at the moment um, that will be kind of making better use of that data, hopefully to transform the processes and make things a bit better for our residents. Where I think we need to do more work is around the predictive stuff so that we can better tailor um, services in line with what residents are interested in i don't think we've done enough of that in the public sector and that's something we could definitely do more of so i think if you look at um some of the key online retailers who i won't name they're really really good at tailoring content to you as a customer or to what they know about you it frightens me to death when when I see some of the things that appear on my timeline on social media because I think, how do you know that about me? So it's becoming such a big part of our world and I don't think in um, public service we do enough around um, understanding our customers and then tailoring some of the, um, the content that we send to them. I think that's particularly important around the public health agenda uh, and the preventative agenda where we've got people who we could potentially target for things to improve their lifestyle or things that might be of interest to them that will improve the quality of their life. So I think there's loads more we can do around that. Um, and I think some really important um, lessons to be learned from the private sector around that. So quite a bit we do. Of, and, but I think against that, there are some challenges because the cyber um, security arena is becoming increasingly challenge, challenging for us in the public sector in that um, the risks are increasing. Yeah. 
we're having to put more and more resources into that area. And I think for us, because we're asking residents to interact with us digitally and asking them to entrust us with their data, some of whom are the most vulnerable and um, kind of at-risk people in society, then we have to have a model that does everything that it can to trust it to protect their data. So I think that's a challenge for us in terms of how we use that data and how we manage it, because there's so many opportunities, but it's got to be done in the context of that challenging landscape. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You nailed that. Um, I com- I completely agree. There is, there's so much scope. Like even with so what we do, we build chatbots and voice assistants and. The, the remarketing um, and the retargeting possibilities within a chatbot alone are incredible. You know, like most people think that chatbots are frequently asked questions and that kind of thing. But the analytical back end of it is is huge. You know, like the combination of sentiment analysis, trigger words, um, like past purchase history, like you were talking about. Uh, the private sector, especially with e-commerce, you can really, really target your market and really benefit that if you if you sort of translate that into the public sector you know really have this targeted service for your constituents and offer them solutions or um, alert them of, of days they might be interested in the community that are super relevant to them which obviously that holds so much opportunity but yeah the data capture the security yeah. is paramount especially with everything that's yeah. happened this year with Facebook and it's on people's minds, isn't it? So I couldn't it's agree balance, with more, more with what you've said around chatbots. I mean, we've got, we have our um, contact centre staff also do web chat as well as part of it. And they use um, analytic tools to tell them when someone's struggling with a transaction, when they've been lingering around a place for, you know, a set period of time. And it does that pop up and offers that support around that. And yeah. that's been really good for us because it's enabled people to um, to multi-save really, you know, and deal with calls and web chats at the same time, which is obviously better for our customers. But it's also given us some fantastic insight information about what how people are using our website, what they're doing, what they're interested in. And we could do a lot more than we have done around... Um, helping to promote some of the things that are really important to us. We have something in Wigan called the Wigan Deal, which is very much about a new relationship with our residents and it's very asset and strengths-based. And it's been very much our response to austerity. And we've said to residents, if you do the following things, you know, if you, you transact with us online, if you recycle more, that will help us to keep council tax down. Um, and a big element of that is people doing things within their own community, uh, volunteering, engaging in the community, being part of the community. And there are so many opportunities to kind of promote this, get people involved with this as part of when they're doing their business with us. And, uh, you know, we, we could do a lot more with that with some of the tools that you've talked about in terms of knowing who these people are and what they're doing and, and how they might help us. I think the other thing that we've done is we've done um, something called Community Book, which it's a a very unusual thing in that normally when authorities create, um, if you like, uh, libraries of of 
community services or things that they might want to recommend to people as part of helping them with issues we've managed that and we've wanted to control it because in that way then we can make sure that there's nothing on there that might you know be inappropriate content or whatever and I think in the past that's become um seen as as a, as a local authority thing rather than a community thing we developed our community our register our kind of local library of activities we handed that over to the community sector to develop and it's very much owned by them and they're the ones who manage the content and um the look and feel of that and we, we're kind of an enabler rather than a direct provider of it but in terms of pushing people and promoting that there's so much more we could do through some of those analytic tools that would help us um improve and, and develop the content within that and make it much more relevant to the people who are using that tool so I think there are huge opportunities around that absolutely it's just about sort of increasing efficiencies yes. I guess where you can yeah. and automation just massively helps with that doesn't it um, so as um, Assistant Director of ICT Strategic Partnerships, what sort of digital strategies um, do you see benefiting councils in the future? And sort of what technologies are you most excited about? I'm, um, obviously, I've spoken a little bit about the work that we're doing around robotics, and I think that's really interesting. Um, we did a proof of concept last yeah. year, and the, um, the output, from that were really interesting and they were so positive that it enabled us to stand up a business case to um, set a member of staff up specifically to work on the projects that we'd identified over the next 12 months and we estimated a return on investment in the first year of around 18,000 and then obviously that then that would be the first year when we'd invested in this individual and then that would continue to deliver wow. uh, going forward. So it was about, this was from the first pilot, was probably about 70K, I think, in the, in the first year. So 70K going forward is yeah. quite a lot and we've got about um, six or seven different um, projects that we're going to do this year. So some fantastic opportunities around that. But I think more importantly, not just about the financial um, savings, about the fact that it will make those transactions that are relatively simple um, more effectively, more effective. And I think that's about good customer service and about meeting customer expectations quickly. So that makes me quite excited. And it will also mean that for those people who do require a more customised or have got a more complex requirement, we'll be able to spend more time with those customers. So that makes me happy. I think um, the Internet of Things stuff will grow. And I think we will see more and more people supported at home using technology. And that makes me really excited because that's a growing market and there's some amazing things happen. Um, so for me, I think those are the two big things that, that we're excited about at the moment. Totally. That is really exciting. Um, obviously, digital transformation are the sort of buzzwords of the public sector right now. Um, it's a focal point for 
probably every council across the UK. Um, I know you've touched on a lot of different things now about what you're looking forward to seeing and what you're excited about and what you're working on. But can you tell us a little bit more about Wigan and Bolton Council's sort of digital transformation strategy? So over the next sort of five, ten years, um, yeah, can you dive a little, de- dive a little bit deeper into okay. your strategy? So the councils are, are both kind of in different places around that, and that recognises that each borough has its own unique identity, um, and that kind of lends you to prioritise things slightly differently depending on what your your current issues are. I think both boroughs are very much focused on three areas in terms of their digital transformation strategies. Bolton's is is its first instance of the strategy and Wigan is currently reflecting on its existing strategy and developing its next iteration of that. I think there's a, a, a strong focus on the, the, the place itself. So what are our responsibilities around the place, which are very much about connectivity making sure that we maximise the opportunities to increase connectivity in the borough, access to um, technology for our residents. So, so that's about, um, you know, what, what does 5G mean to us? How can we um, encourage investment in the borough? How can we make sure that we develop um, good, high-quality broadband as a utility um, when we do housing development, when we build business locations in the borough. So there's a big strand around that. And then how do we support small to medium enterprises in the borough to grow and become more digital and um, build their presence using digital? And also how do we um, encourage innovation hubs and digital businesses to base themselves in our boroughs. So I think that's a common thread in terms of digital transformation across both organisations. And that that won't be unfamiliar to most public sector organisations in terms of our role as enabler. There's loads of partners who can help us with that. You know, people will know about Lloyds Bank do things. Um, there's loads of, of kind of public uh, private sector partners who will help and support people with that so that's a big part of um of our digital kind of vision for the future the second element is about our people so how do we make sure our residents aren't left behind in terms of this digital um kind of thing this digital thing that's taken place across the world so We've done loads of work to skill up our residents to increase their access to facilities where they can use the internet and and do the do the things that they need to do. We know if we're going to be pushing our transactions online and pushing things to be done digitally, that then we have to support some of our more vulnerable residents in being able to, to go on that journey with us. So we've done a lot of work around that, and that's a big part of our strategy. And we need to encourage um, our residents, because we know that those residents who are um, who become kind of internet enabled, digitally active for the first time, are usually around a thousand pounds a year better off than they were before because of all the access to things, you know, deal sites and 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 being able to source the best provider of goods and save money in that way. So we know all those things. So that is is a real 
That's kind really interesting. of incentive for our politicians to maximise people's income and make them better off. So that's a big part of it. And we know as well that if we skill up those residents through making sure there's lots of apprentice opportunities with digital and technology, that these are key growth areas. We're part of Greater Manchester. There's 10 authorities. The mayor of Greater Manchester has really been vocal in his aspirations to make Greater Manchester one of the best digital places um, in the UK. So we know on the back of that there's going to be loads of opportunities and we need to make sure our residents are up for that and, and could be part of that whole revolution that's taken place. We've, we've accessed things like the, um, the IDA Awards, which is free online training for residents. Um, and our staff are also taking part in this. It's a bit like the Duke of Edinburgh scheme and you get like a bronze, silver and gold award and it's all about improving your digital skills. So making sure, oh, no making way, sure we brilliant. promote initiatives like that and, and our residents are given the opportunity and also encouraging our staff. And then the third element is obviously about us as organisations and making sure that we're fit for purpose, that we're modern organisations, that we work in a modern, a modern way that our staff think digital, that we're keeping pace with the rest of the world, that we're reviewing our processes, that we're on a constant change curve. And I think they're the three component parts to um, both, both councils' digital strategy and where we know we've got to go next. Yeah, that's all so interesting. I, I love that. They're three such strong mm -hmm. pillars, I think. That's going to be really interesting to see how, how that all plays out. Um, so... To sort of round up then, how do you see um, AI, machine learning, chatbots, data capture, everything we've sort of talked about, how do you see that sort of transfer, transforming councils across the UK? Um, so sort of what will councils of the future look like? I think we've touched think? on a bit uh, uh, on this a bit in terms of the role it will play. And you can see that starting to play out, particularly around robotics, machine learning. I think the data capture side is really interesting. I think a key element of that going forward is a bit about how much residents get to contribute to and control their own data. And I think one of the issues we have around trust in the public service is that um, people know that the tools like the solutions like Facebook and Instagram get hacked but they still carry on using them. And in the main, a lot of that is because they feel that they've still got some choice about using them and that they can control privacy and that they can control who shares what in terms of, of the information that they put into Facebook. So although they know there are holes and although they know things go wrong with that data, because they've got some elements of control, they're still willing to engage with and use those tools. And I think we need to get to the same place in the public sector. I think we need to um, do more with our residents to engage them in owning and managing the data that, that, that we use on their behalf. And I think that will help build the trust. How we do that, I don't know whether it's through, you know, um, citizen kind of, um, resident portals and resident um, indexes of data. I think I think that is something that we will definitely have to think about more in the future. I think the other element of it is that um, we we kind of need to think about the pace of change and how do we um, keep moving in 
in in the same direction and how do we keep pace with the consumerization of ICT and how our residents live our lives I think that um, you know it, it's going to become increasingly important um, so in terms of what the council of the future will look like I think I've touched a bit on that in that I think we'll be moving away from um, traditional silo-based models of delivery. I think we're already starting to see councils as enablers um, and there are some smaller range of services that we continue to provide, but I think um, increasingly they will be, um, the transactional side will be all dealt with online. Um, and I think there will be more um, customer kind of um, portals that bring together services and manage interactions and track interactions across more than one organisation rather than just being about that organisation. And I think health is the biggest example of that. What are the things that make sense to citizens and what would they want to track and follow more online? A really good example is the work that's going on nationally around the Red Book and people traditionally when they gave birth to a baby being given a Red Book and then the Red Book is used to record your immunisations and I think the digitising of that Red Book um, in the UK and that's starting to be the basis of a citizen-controlled record that travels with you through your life and then it moves on to the school nurse element of the record. And then it takes you through education, adult, you know, um, secondary education, university education. It might direct you into how do you get, a, you know, setting yourself up to get a driving license, setting yourself to get up to get a passport. And I think increasingly all of those elements of central and local government that make up that cradle to the grave, um, public service interaction will become more um, streamlined and more um, joined up than they are now. I, th and I think that is, is something really exciting that we should all be thinking about and we should have in our kind of mindset when we're looking to the future. Yes, absolutely. Um, what about voice technology? Where do you oh, I think that there's some real part? opportunities. I mean, we, we've already used them. We use voice technology for some of our contact centre already. We, uh, we use voice technology um, for people to contact other people in the office, being able to ask for it rather than have to, um, you know, look up numbers. That, that's been Im embedded for some time. I think there's the example with um, Alexa that we've talked about and how, um, how that can make a difference to residents. And I think there's real opportunities um, particularly around some of the online services to do more of that um, and, you know, engage, engage with our citizens in that way. I think one of the other opportunities that I just wanted to touch on that I think will be really interesting going forward is how technology helps us to engage better with our citizens and what does citizen engagement look like going forward for the future. I think in, in the public service... Uh, sector we've not been as good historically about engaging um 
really effectively with residents. I think in some instances it's been quite tokenistic and I think there will be some real opportunities to engage and bring citizens into the service design process and make them part of it in a real dynamic way that we need to be building into our base model of service design going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Oh, Alison, I could talk to you all day. I find you so interesting. Um, right, just a final question now then. We ask this question to everybody who comes on the podcast. Um, what tool or apps could you oh, that's really not easy. Out? I um everyone in my family, everyone of my friends could answer this for me. It's got to be my smartphone. I do everything on my smartphone. And because I'm a non-driver, which is really unusual in this world that we live in, I couldn't live without my travel apps. I travel all, all over the place and everything is done using public transport, using the travel apps. And then when I got off wherever I am, I Google map it and off I go. And it's just made me point and go rather than those old fashioned days when I used to have to print out all my directions before I went anywhere. I no, it's yes. transform, it's transformed the way I live my life and I couldn't imagine life without my smartphone I think I'd rather lose me husband than my smartphone but please don't please don't <laughs> I love that <laughs> I will be quoting you saying that don't worry he'll yeah, never know <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that with Google Maps so I did a bit of traveling a couple of years ago and honestly I just relied on Google Maps it's amazing constantly. isn't it it's so it has really changed the way and it's taken so much stress out of life in terms of you know real-time travel information and then not, you know just being able to find where you need to go when you get off no matter where you are in the country I think it's amazing yeah absolutely Oh, it's been a pleasure for being a guest on the podcast. So that's that. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. Um, I love speaking to Alison. I find it really, really interesting. This is a series that is set to continue. We'll be talking to councils across the UK uh, to understand where they are in their digital transformation strategy um, and how AI automation and chatbots is helping them to save money, increase efficiencies and improve the relationship between themselves and their constituents. So if you're a council, um, either thinking of approaching your digital transformation strategy or whether you're in in the middle of it right now if you've tried and tested a few things and you're sort of experimenting we'd love to chat to you so please get in touch with us um you can get in touch with us on any of our social channels using hashtag the botcast our website is intelagent.ai um, and you can also get in touch with me at lucy at webuildbots.ai or wbb.ai but if you head to the the website you'll find all of our information on there um we're actually restructuring the podcast ever so slightly which i'm super excited about um, I'll release some more information about that sort of officially in a couple of weeks time but we're going to be focusing on on sort of approximately six core pillars so that that will include diversification in the tech industry so sort of redefining what women in tech means for example uh, we'll also be doing a little children's in te- like children in tech series which I'm really excited about bridging the gap between education and actually working in technology uh, we'll still be doing our tech news digest as well as um, digital transformation 
information in the public sector so and actually lots more than that too so um i'll release more information about that shortly but really really exciting so the next episode coming up is the tech news digest at the end of the month with craig pugsley so until then have a great week